your Bibles, we're going to go to Luke chapter 14, verse 25 to 35. A little bit long today. That's okay. I'm going to talk this morning a little bit. I don't know how long it'll be, but on. Do you want to be a disciple and the cost to follow him? Expecting, I don't know, whatever, we'll get into it. But Luke chapter 14, verse 25 says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? Lest happily after he hath laid the foundation, and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him. And saying, This man began to build, and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able, with ten thousand, to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand? Or else, while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassador and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit for the land, nor yet for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's pray one more time together. Jesus, God, I thank you for your spirit that's here, your anointing. God, your word this morning, I pray, God, that you would, God, let us hear your word, anoint our ears to hear, God, I know I'm out to say what you need me to say, I pray, God, let it go straight to our hearts, God, let your will be done this morning, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can be seated, if like, feel a heaviness. I don't know if it's just me or what. We're just going to go through this verse by verse, as so often is the case. We'll start at verse 25, and it says, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them. And Jesus had multitudes following him. Everywhere that he went, he had a crowd following him, and they were with him. Everywhere it seemed that he was going lately, the crowd just kind of kind of grew and, and grew bigger and bigger and he was coming to the end of his ministries at the height of it when everything seems to be happening everywhere that he goes and there was a lot of people following him and they all followed him for different reasons some of them followed because of miracles they heard about the things that were happening there was a hype around what was happening with Jesus people were being delivered from from different diseases, they were being healed of blindness, they were being healed of leprosy, there were lame people were walking, and all these incredible things were happening, and some of them followed because of the miracles, and they wanted to see what was going to happen, and maybe they had been healed themselves, and they were like, oh, this is pretty awesome, we're going to keep following this guy, this is what was going on, and others, they liked his teaching, it was not like anything they had heard before, he was blowing their minds with the things that he was saying, the scriptures that he was using, they thought it meant something their whole lives. And here he was presenting it in a different light. And it was just amazing them. And 
the Pharisees would come and they would try to make him, you know, try to trick him. And he always made them look kind of foolish. And who doesn't like seeing somebody that thinks they know it all be put in their place? And some people were following because of that. Some people were following because they'd heard that he fed the hungry and, you know, free food, right? Everybody likes free food. You want to have a crowd? Just have free food. People will show up. I know churches that have been started that way. Just had a dinner and like, you can't eat until we preach to you. Oh, fine. Well, then. Churches have been started that way. You want the crowd, give them food. Some were hoping that he would overthrow the government. Thought he was going to start a revolution. Whoop, whoop. Some were following him, trying to trick him and trying to catch him to say, or catch him as he was saying something wrong. They thought they could arrest him and have him taken take it out and others you know they just saw a crowd and they started following because of a crowd it's another way to get people have a crowd or in school and there was a fight or anything a crowd as soon as it started happening and the crowd just grew oh there's people over here let's see what's going on so some of them were following because there was a crowd they all had different reasons that they were following but there was this multitude that was following him and like like church this morning, some of us come for different reasons. Some of us come for fellowship, to make friends, or we have friends here and we don't maybe get out as much during the week and this is our time of social interaction. Some of us come because it's a tradition. What else are you going to do on Sunday? Some of us come because our family comes. Some of us come because we need something from God. I've had people tell me they came to get fed, whatever that means, I don't know. Some of us come... For miracles, we hear that things are happening. We're like, wow, let's go to church. You know, incredible things. I heard this person got healed last week. I want to see it happen myself. Some of us come because we're hungry for something of God. And they're all fine reasons to come. The main thing is that you are here. And there are multitudes following Jesus for different reasons. And the reasons right now, they don't matter. All of those reasons put them into the presence of of Jesus, And in the presence of Jesus, anything can happen. All these different reasons that they were following him put them under the sound of his voice where he could speak to them. The reasons didn't matter. What mattered was they were there. And I don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily matter why you're here this morning. It's just important that you are because you are in his presence. And in his presence, anything can happen. In his presence, he can speak to you. In his presence, he can move in your life. So the reason isn't as important as the fact that you are here, but Jesus realized that the crowds were following him for different reasons. And at this moment, he decides he's going to thin the group now. There are people that have been there, they've been following, and it's okay for a while to come for all these different reasons. It's okay to follow for, you know, you want to see things happen, you want to see miracles. And well, sometimes people come for a while and then maybe it slows off and they're like, well, I'll go somewhere else or whatever. That's what people do. But Jesus decides, you know, they've been here for a while. It's okay for a while, but the time has come at this point. The day has come when he, he puts this out to them and says, you need to make up your mind why you're following. And if you're going to go further with me. Because it's not always about numbers. Jesus was more concerned about the quality of the relationships than the quantity of the people. And the time comes in our lives that we need to make up our mind and we need to make a decision. 
We come to a crossroads. There's a point of like no return where you got to make up your mind. Am I going to go? Am I going to keep going further with Jesus? Or am I just going to kind of coast the way I've been coming? If you come into health, or if you come to Nova Scotia on the highway, there's an exit. There's one exit where you got to make up your mind. Am I going to keep going in the middle of nowhere to Cape Breton? Or am I going to go to Halifax, to the valley and all this stuff? There's this one spot where you need to make a decision. And there's all these warnings. Last exit to Halifax. Seriously, last exit. you got to get off here or you're going you're gonna to get lost. And there's a point where you need to make up your mind. Am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? And there's, and there's a point in our lives as we follow Jesus, maybe as a crowd, maybe for different reasons, we need to make up our mind. You know, we're going to keep going further with him. So Jesus starts talking to all of these people that are following him. And he tells them the cost. That, it, that you need to pay in order to continue with him further. In verse 26, he said, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. That's a long list of people to not like. That's not what he's talking about. We'll get into it. But he starts talking to them. He starts teaching this crowd and he starts explaining the cost because there's a cost to be his disciple. Salvation is free to anyone who wants it. We just need to obey the word. Acts 2.38, repent, be baptized in Jesus' name, be filled with the Holy Ghost. Anyone can be saved. There's grace for all. But we're not talking about being saved. We're talking about going further, becoming a disciple and going further with him. The church is full of people that have received salvation but are kind of stuck and they haven't made up their mind to go further. They never go further than ever seemed to grow beyond that point that never seemed to mature. And he had this huge crowd following, but he only had 12 disciples. And there was a cost to become his disciple. There was a price to pay to become his disciple. His disciples literally left everything. They left their home, their family, and their career. There was a price that they paid. There was a cost to be close to him. He said, if any man hate not, he's not talking about hating completely, you know, like we think hating, he's taught against that before, but he means love less. If you love your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sisters, your husband, whatever, if you love your life more than Jesus, you can't be his disciple. That's the first cost. Jesus needs to be number one. Our family is important, but Jesus is more important. I love my wife, I love my kids, but they did not save me from my sins. I wouldn't even have them without Jesus. I would never have met my wife if it wasn't for church. Jesus needs to be number one. That means sometimes feelings will get hurt. Sometimes we will offend people. Sometimes people will get mad at us. Sometimes our kids won't want to come to church. Sometimes they won't want to pray. Sometimes they don't want to listen to my wonderful preaching. That's my children. Oh my goodness, it's so boring. I'm like, thank you. <laughs> it means you may be led to places that you didn't expect to go. Africa, we didn't expect to go there, we did. Middleton, I didn't expect to come here, but here we are. It may cause friction sometimes with people that you're close to. 
It means your relationship with him and attendance to church takes priority over soccer practice, over school events, over date nights, over working that extra shift to try to get that little bit of extra money or taking that better paying job. And it means that your relationship with him is more important than that. If we're not willing to put our relationship with Jesus above every other relationship, he said, you're never going to be my disciple. Unless you're willing to sacrifice that, you're never going to be my disciple and then he says, the hardest one for some of us, his own life. If any man hates not his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Some of us, there's a lot of people that are willing to sacrifice family. People do it all the time. Marriages fall apart because of our own selfish desires and pleasures. Families are sacrificed on the altar of business and climbing the corporate ladder all the time. Every day this happens, but his own life, our own lives, our own wants, our own desires, our own dreams, our own goals, our own time, our own feelings. That's harder. And if we can't sacrifice that, we can't be his disciple. If everything is about me and what I want and what I like and what I, where I want to go, who I want to minister to, if everything's about my feelings, my tolerance level, my limits, my comfort, I can't be his disciple. I'm so focused on me and I'm convinced some of us would have complained when Jesus fed the 5,000 because we don't like fish or because there wasn't any tartar sauce. <laughs> but if we want to follow him, if we want to be his disciple, my life can't matter. I need to put my own needs. I mean, if I put my needs above him, I can't be his disciple. And there's a lot of us that cuts us out right there. Oh, I'm out. Sorry. We like to complain about things. God wouldn't ask me to do that. We don't like rules. I can do what I want. I can sing what I want. I watch what I want. Play what I want. Say what I want. Go what I want. Do what I want. Not if you're his disciple. Sorry, honey, you can't. Because if you're following him, he is in charge. Not you. Last week we talked about how, not last week, sorry, the week before we talked about how the Lord is our shepherd and if he is our shepherd, he's leading me and I'm not leading him. I got to do what he wants. I got to follow where he wants me to go. It's either my life or his. It's not going to be both. I can't live for myself and be a disciple of Jesus. Verse 27, he says, and whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So now Jesus has weeded them out a bit. He's got, some of them are like, okay, we're done. I can't, I can't do this. And he goes a little further. He has their attention. He says, if you're not willing to put me above your family, your friends, your own life, you can't be my disciple. Now he says, if you're not willing to carry or bear this cross, you can't be a disciple. If you think back in the Old Testament, the story of of Gideon, he started with thousands of people and God just kind of weeded them out, whittled the number down until he got the, the ones that were willing to do what the other ones weren't. And God used those. He went down to 300 and he had to have victory through them. The Bible says, many are called, but the chosen are few. Amen. And with the cross, we pick up our cross and we follow him. We daily identify with Jesus. People notice someone who's carrying a cross. It's not something you can hide. 
I was born with a heart condition. It's called Wolf Parkinson's White, WPW, if you're familiar with these sorts of things. No, you're all wondering, concerned about me now. But basically, in simple terms, it means I had an extra wire in my heart, and they had to burn that wire. So now I have a scarred heart, so I'm tough. But they didn't know what was wrong with me until I was in my 20s and finally had enough and whatever. They figured it out. But in middle school, they, they couldn't figure it out. They just blamed it on stress because that's the doctors were like, the ones I went to see. But they one couple times, they made me wear a heart monitor to school. And I was very shy and awkward. And I didn't need any more attention drawn to myself. Have this, and so you have all these wires hooked up. You have this stupid, look like a Walkman, if you remember those, on your whatever. And it always happened to be when gym class was. So I'd be wearing a big sweater, trying to hide it. And then you know, we go to gym class, and everyone else is wearing their shorts and <laughs> whatever. And I'm like, snowsuit going on. And, it was something I tried to hide. And people were like, oh, what's that? I'm like, don't worry about it. Don't talk to me. It's fine, nothing. You know, I tried to hide it, but they noticed. You know, you look a little ridiculous in gym class today. Still remember the sweater. It was a nice Reebok sweater. But anyways, I tried to hide it, but there's some things you can't hide. Amen. Right? Amen. And if you're carrying a cross, you can't hide that. People are going to notice. And we can try to hide it, but we can't. You know, what's, you know, something different about you. Well, don't worry about it. Forget it. You know, we can't hide it. It's not like that. It's not like you are wearing a heart monitor and trying to hide it. They never figured out what was wrong with me at that point. It was super frustrating. But when we carry a cross, you can't hide the fact that you're carrying a cross. It's, and we do it. We daily identify with Jesus. When you carry a cross, you walk differently. You're not walking the same. There's a weight on that you're carrying. There's something that you know it causes you to walk differently. You're focused on not dropping that thing that you're carrying. You don't have time for other things because this is taking precedence in your life. You don't pick up a cross and put it down, and maybe a week later, yeah, I'll carry it again. And you know, you when somebody carried a cross, they carried that cross until the end. You picked up that cross and you carried that cross until you were nailed to that cross. You carried that cross to the very end of your life. You literally had to carry it for the rest of your life. When you picked up a cross, it wasn't something you could just do whenever you felt like it. It was something you made a decision and said, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Being a disciple isn't something that we do for a week and then we call it quits when people notice that there's a little something, forget about it, and I don't want to do this anymore. It's not something that you, you do for a little bit and then you quit. It's a lifelong commitment until you reach the end. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. It was something he did for the rest of his life. It wasn't something he just did for a couple weeks here and there after camp meeting and he's all fired up for a little bit. It was something that he did for the rest of his life. It's a serious commitment. Becoming a disciple of Jesus. Then Jesus, he gives a couple of parables about the cost. Verse 28, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it? 
lest happily after he have laid the foundation is not able to finish it all that behold it begin to mock him saying this man began to build and was not able to finish the first story he gives is about someone building a tower he says if you're going to build one you need to make sure that you have enough money enough supplies enough resources manpower whatever you need to build it need to make sure you have it or at least have the means to secure such things and in Ghana where it was last year they they're building a new Bible school a new church and it takes a long time because they don't have enough money they just build it as the money comes in and it looks kind of silly it's been going on for for years you go to like, this is our new school and you know it's half built and everybody's like what's going on with this you know that's how they do things there but that's what he's saying if you if you start to build it and you can't finish it people are gonna be like what are you doing look at this guy you know we all know people We've seen buildings that people have bought and they've started to renovate and they're like, you're running out of money and they just let it run down again. You know? He's saying, if you're going to build a tower, you need to know how much it costs and you need to make sure that you can commit to it before you build it. Before you start. If not, you're going to start, you're going to lay a foundation and quit and it's going to look pretty ridiculous. There's a lot of people that get up and they testify and they're like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this for God. I'm going to go here. I'm going to do that. When the time actually comes to do it, they don't. They don't. They're unable to. In Bible school, everyone was going to be a missionary. Everyone was going to be a pastor. Everyone was going to be a, a church planner. They're all going to do these incredible things. But when the time came to actually do it, it's like, I don't know about that anymore. Not everybody is those things that they all said they were going to do. The ones who generally were saying the most were the ones that didn't. The ones who are doing it are the ones who quietly went about it, paying the price and commitment and prayer, etc. Building the resources, building up the strength, but when the time came, they were able to do it. Not everyone who says they're going to do something does it. The old saying is, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So if you want to be a disciple, you need to make sure that you're ready to commit. This isn't something you do for a couple days and then throw in the towel. And if you're still here after putting him first, if you're still here after carrying your cross, you're in a good spot. But you need to know there's a cost. You don't start something you can't finish. Towers aren't built in a day. They take time. It takes commitment. It takes years. Disciples aren't built in an afternoon in one service. It takes time. It takes a lifetime. We need to make up our minds now. Can we commit or not? Before we had Lucy, I got a phone call from Air Canada. They wanted to see me about a job that I applied for, which was one of the dream jobs, mostly for the benefits, because you can fly anywhere for nothing. I was pretty excited about that. When they asked me, can you commit the next six months? The training and not missing any time at all. I said, I can't. Because we have a baby coming in a couple weeks. And I don't know. Like, I can't make that commitment. And so I needed to make the decision that time. Obviously, I chose Lucy and taking care of the other kids at the time over that. But I wasn't able to make that commitment, so I didn't go start that job. It's the same sort of thing. If we can't make the commitment, we need to make up our mind. If we can make that commitment. There's too often people rush into things too fast without thinking headlong and, 
headstrong and it ends up in a mess. Las Vegas is one of the most popular destinations in North America. And most of the marriages there are done on a whim. Well, let's get married. Okay. And also has the highest divorce rate in the United States. As people are doing it on a whim, they're not committed. We need to be committed. If we're going to be a disciple, we need to be committed, not just, you need to know the cost. This is what Jesus is saying. Here's the cost. This is what it's going to cost. Are you going to do it or not? Verse 31 says, Or what king going to war against another king sitteth not down first, consulteth whether he was able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. So the second parable, he says, a king is going to war. And, you know, when a king goes to war, there are costs. War isn't cheap. There's resources you need. There's lives that are lost. And before a king goes to war, he needs to count up these costs. Or it's going to be a disaster. He needs to see, he needs to know if he can do it or not. And if he can, he needs to go and make sure that the war doesn't happen. And send people and say, okay, let's come to an agreement. I don't want to do this. Whatever. And the king sits and he makes plans. He just doesn't go, okay, we're going to war. Blindly go in. And that's going to end up in death. You just rush in without any plan or whatever. It's going to be a disaster. And in every war, even if you win, there's going to be losses. On both sides. It's going to cost. There's going to be some widows. There's going to be some fatherless kids. There's going to be some weeping. Even from the side that wins. There's going to be some loss. And you need to make up. The king needs to make up his mind. Is it worth it? I may lose someone close to me. But is it worth it? And even though we're disciples of Jesus. There's going to be losses sometimes. There's going to be hurts sometimes. You're going to be shunned by people. By your family. By friends. People that you hold dear to you. And we need to make up our mind, is it worth it? People people don't always understand why we do what we do. When we said we were going to Africa, they said, you're not taking the kids, are you? Surely, that's crazy. I'm like, it's crazier to leave them behind, but whatever. They're like, why would you do that? Why would you go? Why would you move to the middle of Nova Scotia a week before Christmas? You're not coming home for Christmas, and people got mad at us about that. There's, every, whenever you try to do something for God, people are going to get upset. Yes. People will attack, and people will hurt, and people will stab us in the back. There's going to be some losses. There's a cost to separating ourselves from the crowd. Verse 33 says, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Jesus says it again just to be sure that they understand. He says, if you're not willing to give up everything, you can't be my disciple. If you're not willing to give up everything, just stay where you're at. You can't do it, just stay. Are you willing to give up everything to be closer to him? Jesus isn't a used car salesman. Highlighting everything good and ignoring the bad parts. Oh, this is a great, look at this. No rust at all. Transmission doesn't work, but this is a great car. My first car I bought, speedometer didn't work. Nobody told me. I'm driving down the road and it's like, eh, boom. <laughs> I have no idea how many kilometers were on it because when the speedometer didn't work, the kilometers didn't go up, so I have no idea. 
almost got caught speeding a couple times because I didn't know how fast I was going. But Jesus isn't like that. He gives them, this is how it is. This is the cost. He lays it all out. He, he doesn't make it look pretty. He says, this is what, you know, this is what's going to happen. You may lose some friends. You may lose some things. You may, whatever. He's being upfront and honest with them. He says, are you, are you willing to give up everything to be his disciple? His disciples literally changed the world. In Acts chapter 17, verse 6, people got upset and they said, these are they that have turned the world upside down. It says, these, sorry, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. His disciples literally turned the world upside down, just changed everything. But there was a cost. We all want to change the world, but there's a cost in doing that. Yes. It costs to be a world changer. It's lonely sometimes. You're misunderstood sometimes. You're attacked sometimes. It's separated from the crowd. Verse 34 says, Salt is good, but if the salt lost its savor, wherewith shall it be seasoned? There's neither fit for the land nor for the dunghill, but men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus says, salt is good, but only if it has flavor. If it doesn't, it's just a rock. It's nothing. And salt back in the day was a valuable thing. Some of the soldier's salary, part of it was paid with salt, which is why we say he's not worth his salt. Because it got paid with it. It was a valuable thing. It was an important thing. Salt is a preservative. And as salt, God's people are helping slow the, the growth of evil and decay in the world. Counteract that. It's a purifying agent. You put a little salt in a wound, it hurts, but it cleans it. Sometimes it hurts. But it kills the infection. And salt gives a flavor. And the more salt you have, the thirstier you get. And by how we live, we should make those around us thirsty for Jesus and his salvation. Revelation 22 and 17 says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. We should be leading people to Jesus that are thirsty. If we are his disciples. Our salt that we have now is pure, doesn't lose its flavor, but the old the old timey salt did. Especially if it came in contact with the earth. It would lose its flavor. When we become influenced by the world, we lose our effectiveness for God. When that happens, we're not good for anything. Says we're cast out. Salt has lost his flavor. It's not good for anything. Just throw it out. We'll walk on it. It's just another rock. Just another thing. We become influenced by the world. We lose our effectiveness. So the question this morning... Is anyone willing to be a disciple today? It's not going to happen overnight. 
And I'm going to walk out of here. Oh, I'm going to say one thing's great now. It's going to take time. You know the cost. You know you may have to lose some things. You may have to change some things. You know I may have to do some things differently. You may have to give up some things. But his disciples turned the world upside down. Is anyone willing or wanting to be a disciple today to become closer to him? And I know I presented it a little negatively. That's what Jesus did at that time also. We spend a lot of times presenting things in positive lights and try to sell things to people. But I want you to be aware of the cost of being a disciple. It's not cheap. It's a challenge. It may hurt a little bit, but it's worth it. Usually we spiritualize everything in the Bible. And we love taking it, but this was actually physical things that he was talking about. There's physical prices that people paid. People literally gave up their stuff to follow him. People literally left their family to follow him. It wasn't just a metaphor. It was people actually were doing this. We can't serve our stuff and Jesus. We can't serve our dreams and our goals and follow his will. We need to follow him. Is anyone willing to give up everything to get closer to him? To have a greater anointing than ever before. To be used like never before. To walk into new places. Is anyone tired of just following the crowd? It starts today. It starts with a commitment. He gave you the cost. Jesus gave us the cost of what it takes to become his disciple. Is anyone willing to pay Praise. Let's stand. I'm done. I'm not expecting everyone to rush to the altar or anything. Jesus had a multitude there. Not everyone was on board with it. Is there anybody this morning that's willing? And hungry for something of God. It's willing to leave behind some things. And pay the price to become his disciple. You know the cost. All we need now is a commitment. We're going to open the altar. We want to come and commit to Jesus. Say, I know the cost and I'm willing to pay it. I'm willing to make that decision. I'm willing to continue Wherever you lead me, whatever you want from me. If not, it's up to you. I'm always going to sing, I'm going to pray. In Jesus' name.